Welcome, everyone, to Rugga Matrix America. This is Alex Goff of Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com, filling in as the introduction guy for Jero Sen, who's off busy with some other projects, and he'll be back soon, hopefully. We've got a great show for you today with USA head coach Eddie O'Sullivan headlining things, and as always, joining us on the show is Bruce McLean. Hey, Bruce, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Alex. It's good to be back. And Jiro is doing some good work. He's going to be – he's putting together some, some website things. And, and you know, at, at some point we just have to say, hey, take the time to do the things you have to do. And he's still hosting Rugga Matrix International. And I, I would suggest that everybody go on Rugga Matrix International. It's a terrific show. It's always a lot of fun to listen. He gets some outstanding guests. And our next guest – has been a guest on Rugga Matrix International and a guest on Rugga Matrix America. And we're going to be speaking about the, the tour of the United States. And uh, Eddie O'Sullivan, welcome to the show. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Bruce and uh, Alex, good to talk to you. Well, Coach, it's great to have you here. And uh, you're just back from the tour of Europe where the USA went 1-3. and three, And I wanted to get your impressions about how you felt the tour went. Tough loss at the end, but your overall thoughts on the tour? Um, I guess I step back from it now. It's uh, kind of about a week to decompress. Um, I'm pretty happy with it, actually. Uh, um, I kind of got into it. We, we had a strategy for selection with a strategy for how we play. I mean, a strategy for the, the non-test games and the test games, which we can talk about and tease it out. But um, I would like to have gone 2-2 two and two on the test games, uh, for sure. Uh, I think it was possible to do so, but we didn't. You know, we, we, we got the victory against Portugal, but unfortunately, we, we lost the game to Georgia, albeit um, right on the death, you know, nine minutes into injury time. But the uh, result stands, and we, we didn't get the second victory. So a bit disappointed about that, but... Uh, Overall, I think it was a, a good tour in terms of working to where we want to get to, which is obviously Rugby World Cup next year. You know, Eddie, speaking on selections, I just, I just wanted to ask you a question. I actually have two questions for you. One is, well, I know that the professional players weren't necessarily around for the Saracens game, and, 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 and I understand um, maybe making some different choices at that point. But I would have thought it could have been important to – Try to settle your settle your team for a three week in a row grab, you know, to to try to put your top team out there or what you felt to be your top team out there. And why did you make the the choice to play Scotland? A? And my follow up question is, who do you think was like? Do you feel that Saracens and Scotland A were better sides or more complete sides than Georgia and Portugal? Or were they equal or were they different? And I'm sure you have some opinions on that. So, And I know that's a long question. That's about three questions. But I, I, I guess the best way to answer the, your, your questions, and the good questions actually, is what was my strategy for selection going on the tour? Um, four games, one of them albeit um, kind of a warm-up game, Saracens, the week of the Portugal game. Um, the tour wasn't just about, you know, getting the best team on the field all the time and trying to, you know, get a result every time. I mean, I targeted the two, the two games I targeted to win were the test games. <clears throat> the reason for that is quite simple. And you could make the argument that, you know, Scotland A might be better than, than Portugal um, or, or, or even close to Georgia. But bottom line is um, when you play a ranking test, you want to win them. Um, it, it's, it's been my goal since I took over. Every time we play a ranking test, we put our best team on the field and we try and make sure we win that ranking test. 
Um, and I think, you know, over the two years, our ranking, our games and ranking tests have gone well. We've um, succeeded in, in winning a lot of them. And that keeps us up in the rankings and pushes us up a little bit further. And you want to do that because <clears throat> there's a bigger picture here. You know, the higher up the rankings we get, uh, the more traction we get with the IRB in terms of fixture lists going forward. And, you know, had we, <clears throat> if we were down the rankings, if we were down, you know, outside the top 20, we wouldn't get this tour in the fall to start with. You know, so ranking tests are important and you want to try and win them. So my, my first thought was two ranking tests, which is only a, was only three ranking tests this year, which is really terrible because last year, if you think about it, you know, we had, uh, I think, seven ranking tests between the qualifiers and the two before the Churchill Cup against Ireland and Wales and then the, the, the games in the Churchill Cup. So three ranking tests in the season is terrible, but I wanted to try and win those. And two of them were in the autumn. So I, I targeted those and said, best team on the field and get, get the results we can get. The other two games... Um, you know, you could argue those teams are pretty much as good as Portugal and Georgia, maybe better in some cases. But the other bigger picture here I have to look at is I'm trying to build a squad, you know. Um, we set out at the start of the year with a, with a broad squad of over 60 names on a page. And my, my, my ambition was, and I said this, I think, in a previous Rugby Matrix uh, podcast, that my ambition was by December of, of this calendar year, where we are now, was to have that pool of roughly 40, 45 players and you're only going to get to do that if you actually play guys. You know, you can bring them in camp and you can coach them, but you've got to put them into the cauldron at some point and see how they go. And those two games against Saracens and 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 um and in particular Scotland Day it was always going to be a game where guys were going to be thrown into deep end and uh, and see how they fared. So um that kind of colours your thinking then on your selections and, and you know, if we had this tour and we just put our best team on the field every opportunity and the Saracens game, you're right, was a little bit different. We didn't have everybody on deck. Uh, we, we, you know, players were asked to be rested that week as well by their clubs, and I had to put that into the into the pot as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, if we came back from this tour having brought, you know, twenty eight players, and, and some of them didn't see any field time or anything we're talking about, I think we would have failed in the process of trying to establish that pool for the World Cup. So we take the overview like that. I believe, you know, that was the best way to play this out. You know, put our best team on the field for the, for the ranking tests. And uh, for the non-ranking tests, you know, give the guys who, who weren't going to get games in the ranking tests, put them in the deep end and see how they fared out. Um, <clears throat> there's risks involved because, you know, you, some guys are going to struggle maybe and you're going to pay a price uh, like we did against maybe Scotland Day where we got well beaten at the end of the day. Although, to be fair, I think they got three of their tries when we were short numbers on the field. Um, but apart from that, you know, it was a tough game. But again, it was good information for me. I got to see people I needed to see. I got to make some tough decisions on, on who fared out and, and how they, how guys stacked up. And that was part of the process of this tour as well. It just wasn't getting three games and trying to get three results or four games, get four results, but building a pro, building towards the World Cup. So I hope that answers your questions. But that's kind of the, the headset I carried with me on the tour. And, and I think we kind of stuck to that plan. And I think it, it gave me the, the detail and the information I needed. And the only disappointing thing at the back of it is, and uh, I'd like to change that Georgia result if I could. You know, I'm disappointed to lose that game right on the death. But... You know, that was that, and I don't think anything would have changed that at the end of the day. You know, I don't think selections would have changed that either. We put our best foot forward in that final game. Um, but that test itself, I would say, was probably, and this sounds ironic, was probably our best performance in a while. Um, it was a hugely intimidating atmosphere. Uh, I think people might realise there was 35,000 people at that game uh, packed into a stadium. It was a really, really intimidating atmosphere. And uh, at times it was hard to hear the line calls. Uh, you know, they're talking to the players. It was probably as intimidating an atmosphere as we've ever played in with an Eagles team for a long, long time. Um, so it was a really, really good test game, and, and it went to the wire. 
And uh, that Georgia team, are, I think, are on the up. They're going to cause problems for other teams. And, you know, they, they pretty much put Canada to bed pretty easily the previous week. Uh, they won comfortably against Canada. So I knew it was going to be a, a real uh, dogfight of a game. And, and that's what it turned out to be. And as I say, I'm disappointed we didn't win it. But I think, you know, we took it down to the wire. And, and you know, it, it is what it is. Coach, you ended the tour with a loss to Georgia. You were leading through most of that game, but then lost it with a try right at the end of the game. Uh, how did you feel about the performance? Were you disappointed with it? No, I think we, I, I would say it was our best performance in a long time. Uh, we played really well. Um, it was a very physical game. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, I would say, about as physical as we had for a long time. They were a physical team, Georgia. They really got into us, and we gave back as good as we got. So I was actually very happy. I mean, I couldn't fault the guys at the end of that game. You know, a lot of guys, or all of them, just went, you know, put their bodies on the line for, for the 89 minutes that we were out there. And, um, you know, if we'd won the game and we could have won the game, um, you know, we would have been very, very happy. And, of course, when you lose a game, you always tend to look at the game slightly differently than if you won it. But I really was happy with the performance. I think we did a lot of things well. Um, one part of our game that's been a problem and, and really cost us in that game was our scrum. We can talk about that a bit, but... All the other parts of our game, I think we, we did a very good job. And, uh, you know, good Georgia are a team that are, are improving, you know, quite quickly. They, they've um, got a very good structure on the team. They're getting huge support from the government. They're getting massive support at home. Uh, they had about 30,000 the week before at the Canadian game. Um, so it was a really, really good test game, you know, a real test uh, of, our, of our ability. And, um, yeah, I, I was actually happy with that performance. And I know it sounds a bit weird when you lose a game. But you've got to step back and take an overview of, of how we actually played. Now, Coach, one of the issues with this tour is that you want to develop depth for the team. You want to give experience for all the players, the players who weren't starting on the test side, yeah. and, and get them on the field. And I, I'm interested uh, partly because you, you had some, some injuries, and you've got to develop depth for the injuries. So we saw Nessie Malif got hurt, obviously. Uh, but mm. th there's also the issue where uh, some players didn't seem to be in on the test side and then maybe they got a few more minutes uh, as time went on. Talk a little bit about some of the players who perhaps played their way into a better standing in the depth chart. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that some, you know, if you step back from the tour again, some guys came out of this tour and kind of enhanced their positions. And Naki would be one of those guys who, as I said before the tour in the last podcast, that we didn't really have a good headset for Naki. I heard good things about him. I saw he was playing well in, in, in Europe, uh, in Italy. And I really want to get a close-up of him. And he actually he came through really well. And he, he forced his way into the team, you know. He he, he started the tour not, not in in the starting 15, for the want of a better term. And by the end of the tour, he was in the starting 15. So that was a good tour for him. Um, other guys like Samu Manoa is another guy who forced his way into the team. Um, Nessie kind of cemented his position into the 10 position at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know... That's what the point of the tour was, was trying to you know, get a better headset for who are the guys who are really going to be the go-to guys down the track. Now, you've got to be careful how you coach those terms because it's a movable feast, as you rightly say. People get injured. So suddenly a guy gets injured, somebody else comes in and plays better, or the guy gets injured, comes back, and doesn't recover his form. So, you know, it, it, it's a, these selections are snapshots, but what you're trying to do with every selection is to kind of get a more stabilised version of where you're going. And, and in terms of the pool now, you know, going from the 65 down to 45 or even down to the pool we had on tour, um, a lot of guys have kind of stabilised their position in, in the, you know, the top 25 maybe. You know, it doesn't mean they're a lock, you know. They, that can change, you know. Uh, come next summer, 
when we roll into the Churchill Cup and, and, and stuff and, and we, we head into the Tours of World Cup, guys can, can fall back on, on, on the food chain. But I suppose what you're doing is giving guys an opportunity to establish themselves and, and then it's up to them to hold on to the jersey. Um, the other guy who, who kind of came back on the radar um, and uh, to be fair, it was Mike McDonald who really didn't, didn't perform well in the spring with his club and I, I intentionally just left him out of the Churchill. I didn't think he was, he was where he needed to be. We had, a, we had a couple of good chats. We brought him into London, talked to him, you know, the week of the Saracens game. And he did very well. He came off the bench in Portugal, did very well, did well against Scotland. And um, would have been very close to, uh, uh, would have been very close to, to actually starting in Georgia, um, except in the run-up to Scotland game, he damaged his hamstring. And he was, t- he was tipping and go all week, whether he be able to play in Georgia. And we decided at the end to put Mate and start Mate and put Mac on the bench. Um, because you know we needed to stabilise the selection, but Max, a guy who's kind of forced his way back into the frame now, there's quite a few guys like that. You know, Hayden Smith was missing the summer. You know, he's come back and established himself. A guy like Eric Fry, who up until the high, up until we went off to the ARC, was you know playing second row at the All Americans, has now put himself in the frame as a front row. He's got work to do, but again, he built on his performance in the ARC. He did really well, albeit against Scotland Day and and um, and Saracen. So if you step back from the selections. Uh, throughout the tour and, and what you're trying to do in, the, in this process is, is to develop a stability around the pool for players who establish themselves in the pool but not to the extent where they're a lock and they're never going to leave the pool that you know that they're still under pressure to deliver a performance you, you know their potential now and their capabilities and they need to deliver that every time um, so I think we're, we're getting there along those lines you know as I said the guys who, who projected themselves well on this tour and put themselves in a better position, are there right now. But it doesn't mean they can stay there. They, they can't let rest on their laurels. Somebody else can come along or things can change with injuries. So that's the overall picture of trying to trying to build this pool going forward and, and at the same time, you know, get some results and maybe win some games and build your systems around the team, you know, with a long-term view. Eddie, um, the fact is that is the, the scrum has had its issues and and on this tour probably were were not able to possibly accomplish everything you wanted to due to the fact that you know relative to those we played we were not at their level and i i just wanted you to talk to us about what are your feelings there um how do you see it improving you know, is it Phil Keith Roach at London Welsh that's going to help us? Is it, is it a combination of things domestically? Like, is there, is there any? You know, I'm obviously Will Johnson wasn't there. Is there anything that you see that could that could make this a uh, that could turn this around, for lack of a better for lack of a better term? Yeah, it's, it was an issue on the tour, and and. Uh... I guess again the final game against Georgia was the biggest test of our scrum. It's, uh, Georgia have have a tradition of scrummaging based on the fact that they their national sport is wrestling, and uh, they produce some really good props and they take great pride in it. They they gave uh, Canada a pretty horrendous time the week before, so we knew going into the Georgia game it was going to be all hands to the pump, and um, we were we were under terrible pressure, which cost us the game in the end um, against Georgia, uh, but. I think that performance was, again, a little bit better than the previous couple of weeks because we're under more pressure. We managed to, to survive better. Uh, but we want to get past the point of trying to survive, and, and there's a lot of work to do in the scrum. 
Uh, we were missing uh, Will Johnson, uh, but still we had, you know, three of our, our four props on deck. So the scrum is, is something we've got to focus on and, and, and try and get fixed. Um, I need to put a bit of thought into that. I mean, it's it's now uh, December, and we don't put on our competitive scrum for over six months, so there is a bit of time to get it fixed, but we do need to address it. Um, I think we have to think outside the box as well. I mean, I don't think we're going to suddenly emerge with... Uh, you know, uh, any new props coming out of the woodwork that we've never seen before that are going to suddenly, you know, fix all our problems. Um, so we're going to we're going to have to think outside the box a little bit. We actually did a little bit in, in the Georgia game as we, we adjusted. We put Todd Clever in the shoot. We struck a lot of channel one ball. We spoke to referee a lot about not forcing us to make the feed when the scrum wasn't stable. Um, and, and we strategized around moving the back row around um uh, to try and, and, and give ourselves the best possible opportunity. We put some strategies into the front row, but we were still under pressure, you know, and, and we weren't comfortable. Uh, but we better than we might have, you know. Um, but it, it's an area, it's probably the area of biggest concern at the moment. I, w- I wouldn't dodge that question. I mean, if I look at the other areas of our game, I think our, our continuity game is still improving. I think our defence is, is excellent. Uh, I think our, our, our line-out is very, very good. Um, and I think our transition game is improving when we kick the football away. Um, even though we haven't, as I said, the best kickers in the world. I've said this before. I think we're transitioning better out of those situations. But um, the scrum, yeah, for sure, is, is a place we need to put a lot of thought into. I, I'm, I'm not going to say I have all the answers the moment I don't, but it's, it's certainly something that's going to engage me quite a bit in the next while. Uh, well, get, getting to get into what you were talking about, and I and. I watched about 54 minutes of the Georgia game and in the last the last few um, on on the internet, and I, I, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised at the actual the tactical kicking game. I, I thought that you know it, it has improved, it definitely improved relative to to Georgia's tactical kicking game in 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 the past Churchill Cup. But I wanted to get around. We, I was fortunate enough to have lunch with you. You were in New York. You had, a, you had, you had to go to a meeting here, and, and we had lunch for a while, and we spoke about something, and something we want to do on the show is to add a little value to some of the coaches around. And we spoke about the attack and the, the way that you, you, you prong your attack and how, how you want to choose whether to strike a little closer with one pass a little bit wider out with two passes and a little bit further out with three passes and then, so, and then some things. And then I, the physicality, as you said, was terrific. And I think that the physicality and defense was, was better than I had seen on the Eagles in quite some time, if not ever. And, you know, but I think that there was a couple issues there that we had also spoken about that if we have a bit of time, we'll, we'll get into it. I know you, you have to go to a camp, so and we appreciate it. But if you could just talk us through your – where, where you're headed thought process-wise in attack. Yeah, I mean, part of that is you mentioned our transition game on the kick. And, and what's, what we've worked on here is, is giving ourselves field positions where we, we can open up spaces. And, and what's been a plus on that, and I think this is not nothing to do with coaching except being smart enough to use it, is but we actually have two players, one with a right foot, one with a left foot. So we brought Chris Wiles into the mix a lot more now with his left foot. And he's been working on his kicking a lot in Saracens as a full back. So he's got a pretty good left foot. Nessie has got a right foot, and we're basically setting up so that we can exit off left and right foot kicks, you know, and 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 that makes it a little more difficult. And we we just have to be a little more awareness that if they, if they don't buy that, if they, if they still flood the backfield, we've got to have the kind of composure to take them on in the corners. 
um, and we've done a bit of that, take them on the corners, pull those wingers up and then pump it in behind them with a different type of kick, with a box kick. So we're working on that. It's getting better, I agree. It's not kind of where exactly where I want it, but I thought the yeah, average step forward in the fall tour. And, and I think we had to step forward because, you know, certainly two of the games in Edinburgh and London, the weather conditions were bad and we, we just had to be smarter about kicking the ball. We we couldn't run with it all the time. With, with regard to keeping the ball in hand and, and trying to put a shape together, um, if you just go back to all nine, um, especially the summer of all nine, we worked on a very basic shape, which was, you know, it wasn't rocket science, but it, it got, got us to where we needed to be at that particular time. Uh, and it didn't ask too many questions other than we need to hold on to the ball. But particularly when we went into the qualifiers against Uruguay, we changed a little bit because uh, we needed to change against Uruguay. Um, and then this summer, we put in another strategy where we, we were uh, making a number of passes from the source. And um, if you saw against Russia in particular, we caused them a lot of problems on the corners when we moved the ball into those outside channels and, and put some wrinkles on it. But I'm, I'm working here towards kind of playing off potentially four different shapes. Um, the shape we had in last year was a very simple shape, but I, I haven't abandoned it. I know it's there and we can go back to it. It could be very useful to us in wet conditions, which we may face in New Zealand. Or if you're trying to close out a game, you know, with 10 minutes to go and it's a one-score game, it's an easy way to hold on to the ball and lower a strategy. But if you want to keep the ball in hand and, and stretch teams and, 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 and find wrinkles uh, to, to kind of go through them or around them, um, we need to put a shape that we can play out of. Now, that shape will vary depending on the defensive line or the defensive line speed of the, of the opposition. Uh, some teams give you a lot of more time on the ball and you can make two or three passes from the source before you actually engage the defence. Some teams come up very, very aggressively and you can only make one pass from the source. Well, strangely enough, on the, on the tour, um, we had to make this adjustment halfway through a game. We, we went out against Portugal and all the data we had on Portugal, all the information we had is that they were going to make, allow us to make two passes from the source before we engaged them. And, um, you know, it didn't happen like that in the first half of the game. They came up very aggressively, a lot more aggressively than had before. And and we were able to make adjustments at half time. And we made one pass to the source in the second half. We spread them out and we tried to go through them on the first pass. And that worked well for us. In fact, um, uh, the try we got in the second half, uh, Anderson Yulis try came directly from that strategy. So what we got to do in this tour is work on different shapes we can play to, you know, and, I'm hoping come the World Cup we'll be in a position where we can we can go on the field with a particular shape that we believe is going to work for us. And if necessary, we can change that shape based on the defensive line is a lot more aggressive or less aggressive than we expected or, you know, the weather changes or the score changes. And um, we're a work in progress, but we're further down the track or a lot further down the track than we were uh, from last year and even from the summer. So um, that sort of, of strategy, I think the players understand it a lot better now. I think they're more comfortable with it. And as well as getting better at being able to change those shapes, we need to get more accurate in executing them. I mean, we've kept our shape well in games, but our accuracy hasn't been exactly what we wanted. And at this level, if your accuracy is off, you don't get the line breaks or even the half breaks or, the, or, or those seams that give you offloads because the defence is just a little bit smarter and, and you can hold on to the ball, but you're not really doing a lot of damage to them. So as well as developing those shapes and knowing when to use them and how to adapt around them, we need to become more accurate with them. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that we will do that. But as I say, it's a work in progress. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree. Because um, it seems when you were running hard onto the ball, things were fine. But the minute guys were it, it, either the pass or slightly behind them or whatever, it, yeah. it seemed and, and to that's be... A, uh, that's a relevant point, Bruce, because... You know, when you're not accurate against these defences, I'm talking about playing test rugby, you know, what happens is the defence um, 
is able to slow the ball down, basically. You don't get the kind of go forward you would expect to get. And it's a chicken and an egg. You know, you don't get quick ball. Uh, it becomes slow. Then it's very hard to get over the gain line. And, and But as soon as you get quick ball, getting over the gain line is easier. So it, it, if that accuracy is just a little bit off, 10, 15% off in your execution, you know, a good attacking um, play can slow down to the point where you're laboured again. And and, uh, and we've been working on some strategies as well. When we When we lose that momentum, how we get it back again. And we did it really well in Georgia. And a couple of times we, we took them on a certain channel and they shut us down. And had we moved that ball away from that channel without, you know, regenerating some quick ball, we would have been in trouble. But we, we had the presence of mind to to, to to put in a little wrinkle that got us that quick ball and gave us a chance again. So, and I said, you know, it, it's not right. It's not there yet. You know, I'm, I'm not saying we're, we're the finished product, but I, I think we're getting there. And, and I'm, I was really happy with the, those aspects of our game. Yeah, I, de- I definitely saw potential. I saw potential in the ERC. I didn't. I didn't see the finish. That that that's for certain, and, and I think that 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 is shown by you know the amount of tries that were scored. But there were there were opportunities and there were breaks. One of the things I did see is when you made a break, because you were spread to, to play in a, in a few different channels. A lot of times when there was a pick and go, especially by a back, um, Emmerich in particular would would do a pick and go, and Philly Loft was quite good at this as well. That he would he made things happen just off the base of a rock on quickness. Well, and... this, if, if we get a line break, that that we need to change our headset, that the shape you're playing is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. You know, there's no extra points for being aesthetically good looking in a shape. You know, if you get a line break, you just go, you go and you go after it and, and you just do what comes to you naturally. You know, the, the, the shape you're playing is, is the means to an end. It's a me- mechanism for creating that line break. And um, once you get the line break, if you hurt them, you go and you, you put you, you get their, your, your foot in their throat, you kill them off. You make this, you make sure you score. And forget about the shape once you've done the damage. And if, if it dries up again, you can go back to your shape. But that's part of the recognition we've talked about as well because guys can get kind of blinkered about the way you want to play and, and they play to that shape regardless. Sometimes you just got to go for it. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for that answer. I think that that's, it, it, that's a fair statement to say that Basically, you gotta you gotta take what the defense gives you in when you're attacking, and you know. But you also have to, you know, you also have to plan for, given what what happened, what what they probably will be giving you. So you gotta anticipate, and then if you hopefully anticipate correctly, and you take what they give you. Now, the other thing is in defense. While we're at it, because we we spoke about this a bit. Uh, in your system, it's it's called pillar A B. Pillar would be the the, the first defender to guard the. Um, the A defender would be the second defender, and, and, the, and the B defender would be the third defender who would generally be on the first receiver. And I just – one of the things we talked about was when nine passes, the the uh, the role of the A and, and the B having to work together, when nine runs, and then when nine runs and passes. And these are certain things that you guys worked on in order to add a little bit more – physicality to your game because you kind of were able to get a couple blindside hits on people that you wouldn't normally get because you're coming from where they can't see you. And if you would talk us through how and why you're able to do that. Well, I think your physicality comes from your composure. It's kind of a strange combination, but if your defense is composed, guys can make good decisions and make good reads. And when you make a good read, you can be very physical and, and, in the system we have, we're, we're not just wanting one guy to make a, a physical statement. We need two guys. So we're trying to make the double-up tackle if we can. So if your defense system is composed and it's under control, guys make good decisions. They make a good read on the play. 
and then they are where they need to be when the ball carrier goes to the line, and then you make the double hit. Now, again, it's chicken and an egg. You know, if you don't get that composure and you don't get that read, then it's it's probably a scramble tackle and you lose the collision, and, and then it's the next next problem is they have a quick ball. So we put a lot of work into our system being composed and then making good reads. Now, it all does hinge off those three inside defenders, that pillar defender near the rock, the second defender is called the A defender, the third defender is called the B defender, who stands opposite the first receiver. And he is the key person in the defence, the B defender. He he sets the speed of the line. He decides how fast that line comes up. He decides whether the line you know, stays on a straight line up, whether it wedges out or drifts out or whether it jams up and in. So he's a very important person. And we put a lot of work into... Um, that, that area of our, our game. And, and I think we did a good job on that on, on the tour. Um, you know, whether you, you play straight up or whether you wedge out or drift out, we call it wedging, or whether you jam in or gets coming up and in, um, depends on what read you get. I mean, if a 10 or first receiver gets the ball and goes straight to the line, then it's everyone just straight up and you make a hit. If that first receiver passes the ball outside and like the 10 passes to 12 or whatever, then we, we automatically turf wedge. I mean, turf coming up and wedge pushing out, that's what we call it. But the 10 can only do that if he gets the ball from the 9 pretty much instantaneously. So if 9 pass to 10 and then 10 pass to 12, you're almost automatically in a turf wedge scenario. If 10 comes to the line in that scenario, then you're straight up. But if 9 takes something out of it, if 9 starts to run a little wrinkle around the ruck, you know, trying to pull somebody out of his line, usually the pillar and eight defenders, we use that now as a trigger to come up and in and jam because that 9 has burned the time that that the first receiver should have on the ball. It takes a lot of confidence to do that, but once you get comfortable in, in that scenario, what does mean then that you've got composure, and if you've got composure, you make a good read. If you make a good read, you make a good hit. And uh, we, we, I think we made a big step forward on, on the tour on that this fall. We, we, we made teams work very hard to get over the game line, and we were able to be very physical with them because our reads were good. We rarely kind of got guys isolated on one-on-ones. We were also able to get an assist in. And the second assist guy tagged the football, which cut down dramatically on, on teams' ability to offload the football. So what we're trying to do here is kind of let the team do the thing and then shut them down. And uh, the, the bottom line then is they get a five-second rock instead of a two-second rock. And with a five-second rock, we can set our line again and just replicate what we just went through. And, and the other thing you have to work on is that against good teams, you might have to play seven, eight, nine phases to get the ball back and if you play six or seven good phases um, and then somebody dials out then the line break comes and, and you've just defended for five or six rocks and you've paid a big price by just getting lazy all right so i mean we've been working hard on that um of, of not dialing out for a phase that we stay on it and if it takes eight or nine phases to get the ball back then it takes eight or nine phases getting the ball back can be in the form of a turnover we just strip the football or we we tie up the football and it turns into a set piece scrum or they kick it away and we get it back. So I think we, we you know, it's part of our game that I'm really proud of, that we, we, we're, we're making great progress on our defence. And I think it's something for the World Cup to stand us in good stead. Um, I guess the other thing that we worked on is the counter-rocking, which has now become a very big part of the game. And um, in the old days, and that's when I say the old days, you're talking about it less than a year ago, we had the first player make the tackle and the second player was going in to try and steal the football. It was what we called the tackle-jackal. Uh, combination, but now with the new the new interpretation of the law, where the the tackler has to release the ball carrier before they can go after the football, well at the top end of the game, by the time you go back for the football, you're just going to get cleaned out. 
And that's why at the moment, you know, the, the team in attack has the advantages because the defenders can't really play the football without releasing the tackler and then it's all over. You've got to do a really bad job to lose the ball nowadays at the Rook. So the problem for the defence is how do you slow the football? And what we've done now is we've, we've put some work into the counter-Rook. And instead of the, the guy going for the ball or the jackal, he can do it, but he's got to be pretty sure he gets it. But if he's unsure whether he can get his hands on the ball, he just counter-Rooks straight into that combat zone over the football. And if he wins that combat zone, it means the opposition have to take him out and it takes four or five seconds to get it done. So that slows down the ball automatically. And if they don't put people in there to clean him out, then we would put a call in where our two pillar defenders would join that ruck and we'd have three guys counter-rucking. So you've got to be sure you're going to win the ball in the counter-ruck. If you counter-ruck with three people and lose the ball, you're going to be in trouble. But it's something, again, it's a good judgment call by the defence. Again, if there's composure around the breakdown, if guys understand what they're trying to do, um, then they make the right decisions and, and you get good results. Eddie, one of the things that we did this year with the AC, especially later on, was you know, especially when when we needed to against Golden Gate because we kind of you know we kind of undermatched against them physically. Is if we caught them behind the game line, we we sent the guy through. You know, they, they, we call them like a nose guard. Go in there and eat up bodies, eat up as many bodies as you can, and and then the next guy in would they would would have our call to to attack the. Uh, to attack the breakdown. But generally we did that when we caught them behind the game line or a guy got caught in a funny position on the game line. If they broke the game line, we generally just tackled and fanned because we almost said, all right, well, then this probably will be quick ball. Do you have a similar decision-making process with yeah, the I, Eagles or do you do something, you know, is it, is it just situational? Well, the situation was the right that, that – where you win the collision, you're driving backwards almost automatically. Um, it's almost automatically a counter-rock situation. But the other counter-rock situation that can work for you, particularly when you're going backwards, is particularly in the outside channels. If a team tries to get around the corner and you tackle them out wide, you'll often find that they, they're neglect to get to the rock. You might find, particularly if there's backs around, you might only get one or two guys going to that rock. So sometimes, even though they've gone forward, they neglect to uh, resource the rock. And if you can recognise that, particularly out wide, you can counter up there on the outside chance and win the ball. That's another occasion when you would counter up. Even though you may not have gone forward, you might have gone backwards. But definitely there are two occasions. One, when you win the collision and you're driving backwards. And two, if they're on the outside chance and they're skinny at the rock, you can you can call it and go after it. And we found those probably two most most beneficial occasions to, to, to work on the counter up. Well, Eddie... Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. I found it very informative, very interesting stuff, especially about the defense and the counter-rucking. And we appreciate you taking the time. We know you've got to get off to uh, Hawaii for a clinic that you're helping run there. But we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. A very enjoyable chat. Well, before we go any further, we're just going to do a, a, take a couple of moments to remind people that the USA 7s is going to be held in Las Vegas in February 12th and 13th, and we've got the Las Vegas Invitational, which will be on the day, two days before, the 10th and the 11th, a little bit on the 12th as well. If you are interested in seeing really great rugby and, and some international athletes who are at the top of their game, you really need to get to Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas in February. It's just it's it's the best rugby event that you're going to see in the United States. It's really exciting, and uh, we really, really encourage you to get there. If you want to get tickets, you want to get information, hotel deals, there are some deadlines coming up as well on those, 
go to USA7s.com. We're going to get another perspective on the USA Tour of Europe. I had the opportunity to talk a little bit with Phil Teal, the USA hooker, and we'll talk a little bit about more about the scrum in this conversation, but we also talked a little bit about some of the off-field stuff. So uh, I got to uh, spend some time with Phil, and we'll run that interview, and then we'll come back, and uh, Bruce and I will finish it up. First of all, I wanted to get your impressions about uh, the tour. And uh, especially in there, of course, the the big thing that people want to talk about is the scrum um, difficulties in there. So, I mean, first of all, what what were your overall impressions about the tour, and and how did the guys feel at the end of it? I thought it was uh, I thought it was a really good tour, to be honest. Um, obviously, we were a little disappointed uh, that we didn't get the uh, the result in the win column against Georgia, but uh, it was a really good tour because we haven't really been this group of guys hasn't really been on a uh, a long tour together yet, which, um, uh, you know, for who, who's selected to the World Cup will be really important, um, you know, because uh, it's a long tour. You're away from your family for a long time. You know, you're staying in different hotels and stuff. And um, it was nice to, to get to know the guys a lot better. We, we gelled really well, you know, as a, as a group. And, um, you know, overall, like, I thought it was, like, personally, I thought it was a really good tour. Like, it was it was really enjoyable. It was really good rugby, and it was good to uh, to get that group of guys together for a long period of time. Excellent. So, so there's a rugby aspect to it, but there's also a non-rugby aspect to it, team building. And, and, and like you said, in terms of getting used to traveling. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a huge team building aspect to it, you know, because a lot of us, I mean, most of us don't play together, you know, on a on a year-round basis. Like if you go to a lot of the other countries where there's, let's say, like in New Zealand or something, a lot of those guys play together you know, like on, on a, say, a Crusaders team or something. But uh, we don't get a chance to really be around each other a lot. So, uh, like, even the days when it's traveling, when it's tough, you know, and we're, you know, we're going on, like, a 12, you know, 14-hour, you know, travel day, like, travel day and night, you know, and guys really, to see kind of how guys act and kind of how guys, you know, pull together and stuff like that. And uh, just to get even the small jobs like that done is really important. And you didn't see anybody that wasn't, you know, doing that. You know what I mean? Like, it was a really good good experience to see everybody kind of how we act on that you know on those weird kind of things that you don't think about you know you don't think that it's going to be important to see how guys act you know on a travel day but then you see everybody kind of pulling their own weight and you realize you know that you know everybody's doing it so it's a good thing excellent did you learn anything new apart apart from the fact that people found out that um uh your your freestyling uh ability uh which which made it onto the video um did you learn anything new about anybody on the team um, I mean, you, you do learn a lot of good. I mean, you learn some stuff because we know most of the guys, but a lot of the new guys coming in, um, I actually roomed with uh, with Zach Test throughout the first couple weeks of it, and um, I didn't know who Zach was at all. I knew he was a seventh guy and stuff, but uh, you know, you learn a lot about him. Like I learned, he's he's just a good guy. I learned a lot about sevens and stuff from him. Um, Get to see, uh, you know, Pate Chulabuka had uh, had his baby when he was on tour. You know what I mean? So you get to learn that uh, you can Skype while your uh, wife is giving birth. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, we learned uh, we learned some. You know, it's pretty cool because you get to talk to guys more. Like uh, when we were in London, we got to see some of the people that like Hayden and Chris play with. You know, we got to learn a little bit more about them and their professional environment and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. And um, but other than that, yeah, we you know know the guys pretty well. There's always a few things that, you know, that uh, you learn in, you know, some funny situations that we can, you know, don't talk about, but never anything bad. You always learn good stuff about guys. Learn that uh, it's 
Scott Lavalle gives a heck of a PowerPoint presentation. I, I did learn that. I can tell you, that. he gives a heck of a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> that is great. You know, I, uh, the uh, you being Hooker, the the things people talk about are lineouts and scrums, and lineouts went pretty well, it seemed, and the scrums um, had their moments, I guess. But I guess the the people point to the fact that. Um, the Eagles gave up uh, two tries in the test matches, and both of them were on scrums with about 30 seconds to go. I, I'm interested in what you what you felt in the middle of that pack, and um, and were you guys feeling like you were under pressure that things weren't going well? Um, well that was always a tough one, you know, because uh, we had our moments where we were really good, and we had our moments where we weren't so great. Um, and uh, I think with us right now, um, we have, you know, we have we have everything in place to have a really solid scrum, um, and uh, it's just every now and then we'll have just you know one here or there where uh, where um, we uh, I don't know if exactly what happens, but we just don't quite you know stick it, you know what I mean? And uh, but other than that, like that that's a tough one, you know, because that's uh, it's one where we're like I said we're in place to really have a good scrum. And uh, it's just it's just every once in a while we're just we're just it doesn't quite happen as as planned, which I mean happens you know to every team, you know. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a tough one. Though. Is it is it is it something that you have to um, say to each other? Um, just a, a little reminder, whether it's uh, getting the hit right or whether it's uh, you know how, how low you're getting or timing the drive. Is there something you say to each other before you pack down? Well, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where, um, you know, Scrum has so many moving parts and stuff like that. And, it, and uh, like, the one thing I can definitely say is uh, throughout the tour, we really uh, we really felt that, like, especially in the front row, we actually talked about that the, the back five was doing a really good job. And um, it's a, one of those things where, um, you know, everybody is on it all the time. And, uh, like, it's just one of those things where every once in a while we just don't have one that goes to plan, you know, to be honest. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, but like, but, but I thought that, uh, I thought for the most part we scrummed, we scrummed pretty well. Um, like I said, just every one, every now and then where, uh, something happens, you know, and, and whatever that is that happens, we just, we go on to the next one and, you know, go on to the next job and we just fix it for the next one. And, and then if we do have one, where we make a mistake. It, it usually, you know, gets better on the next one. How how difficult was it to end that Georgia game the way that um, it was? It was tough. Um, uh, it was it was definitely difficult to not uh, get that decision that we wanted. Um, but in that game, there was a lot of really good performances. You know, there's a lot to build on in that game. You know, we went into a, a pretty hostile environment and uh, kept our composure, which is really important for us because uh, we don't get that environment that often. You know, thirty thousand fans going crazy and a tough physical side, you know, at their home place. And uh, there was, like I said, there was a lot of really good performances. And um, and pretty much from and from 1 through 22, there was no lack of determination or, you know, grit. Nobody backed out. You know what I mean? That was the best thing to see was that, you know, everybody really put their heart on the line. And we all were, we were really, you know, we were down after we lost, obviously. But uh, we were proud of the performance. It's one of those times when it's tough because you don't get the W. But you're proud of the performance, so it's uh, you strike a balance with that one. Sure, sure yeah. absolutely. The point you make about playing in a hostile environment is interesting because for quite some time I was writing about how the USA wasn't getting to play on American soil, 
and it was for a few years it seemed like every every game uh, that, that they were playing uh, they just they weren't be able to play at home and and they went through a stretch of I don't know how many years maybe maybe it was three years or five games something like that where they ne- they never played Canada on American soil and how, you know it, it, it's just one of those things so so it was really good to see the Churchill Cups come to the United States say okay we're good. the Eagles are going to get a friendly crowd that seems that's good for them I think that's good for the the program then of course what happens is you've got the trade off is you you've had those friendly crowds. And maybe you know. And now, you, now we're talking about the fact that you need to play in an environment that's not so friendly, just to get used to it. Uh, so I, I find that interesting. And I guess um, you guys have, you, you, the, you know, Eddie, but also you as the players, you've all sort of recognized that 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 that's an, that's an important aspect of of playing Test rugby is you've got to learn to play when you're not the home team. Definitely. I mean. Because if you think about like the you know the big stage like the World Cup, I mean we won't be a home team. You know when when the Eagles go down there and and you know Australia is you know one of the games. I mean that's going to be a you know pretty much almost a home game for you know the Aussies because they're going to have a huge crowd there. You know and um, and uh, it's it's going to be a tough one, but it's I think it is important for any sport when you play. You know you always talk about that you know getting that road that road culture going. You know when you're on the road and you right. can go into those tough crowds and. And I think that's important too for even when you do come back home, that you know that when things are you know a little bit down or um, like the game's not going the direction you want it to go, you can build up momentum back on your own as a team. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. And uh, and, and you can pull out that victory. And like I said, with the Georgia game, we didn't we didn't get the victory, but we did do you know we put in the work to get the victory. We just didn't it just didn't turn out our way. You know, and we know we can take that kind of momentum in and we can keep a game and, you know, do the things you need to do to win a game when, you know, maybe you're having a tough time with momentum or, you know, they're really doing a good job playing hard or something the other team is, you know, so you can you can build that momentum on your own without a crowd behind you, you know, sure. that kind of thing. Well, not to put you on the spot or anything, Phil, but do the players get a little bit jealous uh, at the fact that they're playing in front of 35,000 fans in another country and in the United States we don't really get those kinds of crowds and uh, I'd argue maybe the the fans aren't as loud or as passionate as we saw in Georgia. I think that um when it comes to American fans I think that uh we have really we have great fans here in the states um and uh I think that uh it was it was interesting to see a game, you know, where there was, you know, 35,000 people and they were you know, kind of, they were pretty crazy, and they were, I mean, they were really good fans, don't get me wrong, they were, I mean, they booed us, and, you know, that's what they're supposed to do, and then, uh, and then after the game, they were really, um, I guess, uh, sportsman-like us, you know, but I think with the American fans, like, I, I personally really love American fans, uh, because they do get, you know, they get loud, and they do their thing, but um, we just, uh, we're still building the sport here a bit more, you know, so we've seen the crowds get a little bit bigger, but uh, I don't think I'd say jealous, no, I mean, I wouldn't trade American fans for anybody in the world. Well, that was a little bit of time with Phil Teal. He is a very busy guy. He is uh, working on his Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and he also has a baby on the way. So thanks a lot to Phil for giving us that time. We just want to remind you to go to USA7s.com to check out information on the USA7s tournament and also the uh, Las Vegas Invitational. Go see the games. 
go play in the Invitational if you want to, and uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a great event, so please check that out. Also remember to go to RugbyMag.com for all your rugby news needs, uh, covering the United States and uh, the, domestic, the domestic game, and also Rugby Magazine. We, we've got some uh, great stuff coming out in the print edition. That will do it for us at Rugamatrix. Bruce, it's been uh, a very informative talk with uh, Phil just now, and obviously Eddie O'Sullivan as well. Yeah, I think there's gonna, I, I, it, you know, it was it was interesting, and I think there's gonna be some follow up, and you know, I think that after the new year, I'd, I'd I'd probably like to get Eddie back at some point to say, hey, you know, to to find out what what exactly is the plan going forward, what exactly are we gonna do, what what exactly where where are we, and we we never really got to that because he had to get to Hawaii of all places. Well, we should all be so lucky. Anyway, have a good trip, Eddie. Thanks a lot, Bruce. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Alex Call from Rugby Magazine saying goodbye. And this is Rugamatrix America. <laughs>